Good singing. It's easy to sing those songs with energy, isn't it? Victory in Jesus. We're in Genesis chapter 15 is where we're starting. We're going to look at several scriptures today, thinking about vision, thinking about having a greater vision. Let's read verses 1 through 5 of Genesis 15. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless, and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then he said, So shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. Join me in prayer. Our precious Heavenly Father, it is good to be in your house. It is good to know we're in your presence. It is good to know that you indwell with us and that you are here. You know the cares and concerns upon our hearts. You know the burdens we bear. And you care about them, Lord, and so we praise you for that. Lord, we lift those up to our left and our right, in front of us and behind us, praying that you would work mightily in their lives, resolving the cares and concerns they face, helping them in their day-to-day. We pray for each other, Lord. Father, we pray that you would open our minds and our hearts to hear the message from your scripture today that we might grow in greater faith in our worship of a great God. Thank you for Jesus Christ, Lord, through whose name we pray. Amen. This section of Scripture in Genesis is one of my favorites. I love the Old Testament stories. I love the story of Abraham. And if we're not careful, we can be judgmental about Abraham as he is here, but We need to understand the situation a little bit. And let me, as the actors say, let me give you the backstory a little bit, remind you. Abraham, of course, was born in Ur of the Chaldees, which is part of the present country, Iran, between the Euphrates and the Tigris River. And God called him, along with his father, Terah, out of Ur of the Chaldees to go to a land he was going to show them. And they went and they settled in Haran, which if you can think of a great ark from, say, uh, in Iraq or Iran, going over the top and then coming down into Israel, Haran was at the peak of that ark. And they settled there. And after some time, as happens, Terah passed away. And when he did, God spoke to Abraham and said, Abraham, get up and go to a land that I'm going to show you. And Abraham went. He obeyed. As they got to that land, or in that, that was chapter 12 of Genesis, when God commanded him to go, he said, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. And right there, Abram could have said, I don't know how this is going to happen. At the time, he was about 67 years old. 
Sarah was 57. And we learn later in Scripture, Sarah was probably barren, unable to have children. So Abraham could have been a little incredulous at that time, but he, he went where God said. He followed God. As he's in the land, he becomes a successful rancher. He becomes a powerful, influential person. And in chapter 14, he and Lot have... His nephew have separated, gone to different places. Lot has gone down towards Zoar, which is near Sodom. We're familiar with that a little bit. And in a military action, another nation comes in and captures the people of Lot's town, and Lot's one of them. And the news comes to Abram, your nephew Lot has been captured and is in captivity. Abraham musters an army and goes after, and he defeats the other kings, and he brings them all home. And there's a a, a very interesting and important section there because a priest shows up. That priest is Melchizedek. Never heard from him before, and don't hear him again except when he's referred to in this passage. But he comes, and Abram worships God and gives him a tithe of the spoils that he had. So Abram is recognized as an influential person in the area. He's able to muster an army and defeat the other kings. So he has some position. And now we find him in chapter 15. I can see him sitting on his own around a campfire, pondering things and God comes to him, and God obviously knows Abram's mind. And he says to Abram, he assures him, tries to give him some assurance, and says, Abram, I'm your shield. In other words, I'm going to protect you. I'm your very great reward. One of the things I love about our scripture is it shows God's people in real light. A lot of times in, uh, over the the journals, the stories, people were right about their heroes, they're perfect, they're, they're elevated to a, a great standing, they don't make mistakes, they're super courageous and brave. Our Bible shows us people real. Abraham was a great person, he was influential, but still he had the common concerns. And it turns out that he's sitting here pondering who's going to be his heirs. This is some six years later that God led him to Canaan and said, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. Six years with no child. And part of the reality here is Abram kind of argues with God. He said, God, what can you give me? I don't have a child And it looks like I'm going to have to give everything I've got to a servant. And just the cheekiness of Abraham to kind of take on Almighty God in his word. And another thing I love about this is God's response. God doesn't chastise him. He doesn't get on to him. He doesn't smite him. He doesn't do anything. He says, Abram, that's not going to be your heir. You're going to have a son from your body as your heir. Here, come here, I want to show you something. And he takes Abram out. 
maybe out of his tent. Maybe he was in his tent. We don't know. But anyway, he takes Abram out and says, look at the stars. Can you imagine what the sky looked like in Abram's time? We go outside and we've got the lights of Louisville polluting the skies and we don't see nearly the stars. Maybe you've had the opportunity to be out west or somewhere where there isn't that light and you've seen the stars. Abram surely saw just the sky, just a blanket of stars. And God said, that's going to be your descendants, Abram. And we read in verse 6, Abram believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. God assured Abram, you're going to be the father of nations. Abram is doing much as we do. He was sitting there. God had given him a promise some six years before. God had blessed him. He had become a successful rancher. He had land. But he's sitting there and he's, he's thinking, I don't have a son. And I need an heir. I've got this stuff to pass on. And in his culture, it was normal to do that to a servant in the household. That was a family member, but also a servant. So Abram's using the knowledge and wisdom he has to solve the problem. But God said, that's not the solution. We're much like that as we face challenges in today. We seek an answer among ourselves, among our knowledge, among our experience. And that's right and good. We need to do that. Unless God has said, this is what needs to happen. Then, rather than follow our wisdom and knowledge, we trust God and follow as He leads. And that's what God's calling Abram to do. So Abram, again, was very natural. He had a very... Uh, a real concern. I, I had that a little bit at one time. Some 20 or 25 years ago, I really got in depth into doing our family's genealogy, the Brockway genealogy. We're considered the Alabama Brockways. My great-great-grandfather was from Wisconsin. He was drafted into the Union, and he was uh, bivouacked in Huntsville, Alabama. As stories often go in Huntsville, a young woman down there called his eye. He fell in love. And after the war, he settled in Huntsville, Alabama. And that brought my line to Huntsville. Most of the Brockways, uh, they started in Connecticut, went through New York and Pennsylvania. And then they kind of moved west. But my little group went on down to Alabama around the Huntsville I'm keying in all these names. I had bought some books of the Brockways and I stayed up late at night, into the night, typing in the names into my computer database. And at that time, I had one son, Glenn. He was a teenager. And as I'm typing in all these Brockway names, it occurs to me that Glenn's the end of the line for the Alabama Brockways. My brothers had both had daughters. And of course, my sister had a son, but he was a Parks, not a Brockway, in direct lineage. I mean, it didn't ruin my day, but still, it didn't thrill me to think that my son, it could end with him if he had daughters. 
Well, God blesses. My son had two sons, so we've been extended another generation, and perhaps they'll have sons. So I can kind of relate to what Abram's thinking. He's thinking, I've got this good life. Lord, you blessed me, but I've got no one to give it to. And he wanted that son, of course. And so that's where God encouraged him, said, you're going to have a son. And he's going to do this. Then God goes on. God does a covenant with Abraham. That next section is kind of mysterious to us because it relates to the culture of Abraham. This covenant of taking an animal and God represented by a a, uh, lamp goes between them. And it's just, it's, it's how they did covenants back then. But God makes a covenant with Abraham that he's going to do what he said he's going to do. And then at the end of chapter 15, God kind of repeats his promise, but this time he adds specificity to it by telling Abram the geographic boundaries of this nation he was going to be. And he says from the river of Egypt, which is the Nile, to the river Euphrates, which is in Iraq and, and that side, All of that, your people are going to fill, and that's going to be your nation. And then he he went on even further. He had defined it geographically, but then he defined it socially, I call it sociologically, because he started listing all the tribes that lived there, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, on and on, all the ites. So God defined this area he was going to give Abram geographically and by the peoples that were living there. Very specific to where Abram could know exactly what God promised him. Abram believed God. It was counted to him as righteousness. But Abram continues to have weak moments. Later in the chapter, and you, you know this part of the story, you're familiar, but Next chapter, Sarah decides she's going to solve the problem. So she says, Abram, I can't have children. Go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I'll have a son by her. Again, something that was recognized and allowed in their culture. It wasn't God's desire. It wasn't God's plan. They're taking matters into their own hands. And she does. She has a child named Ishmael. There's conflict between Sarah and Hagar. You can kind of imagine the emotions between them. Hagar leaves, takes a son, can't take care of him, leaves him to die. And our blessed, merciful God comes to this innocent woman. It wasn't her choice to do this. And ask what she's doing there. She tells him, he says, I hear the cries says, go back to your master, and I will make Ishmael a great leader. And he does. If you continue reading, Isaac fathered 12 children. Those became leaders of the 12 tribes of Israel. Ishmael had 12 sons, and they became 12 tribes and the Arabic land. And to this day, we have we have to deal with that enmity between those two brothers. 
Isaac, the nation of Israel was raised. Ishmael, who his people later started worshiping Muhammad and Muslim faith. And we have that conflict. What would be our world today if Abram had not and Sarah had not taken that action? If only Isaac was there, it's, it's be fascinating to know. But, but again, God's mercy and his faithfulness to his promise, even though they complicated God's plan, even though they mucked it up, they caused problems, God stayed true to his promise, and he created a great nation from the seed of Abraham that exists today and is millions and billions of people. And over time it has. God had a great vision. Abram was looking at one problem. I don't have an heir. God is thinking about creating a people that would be the ones to carry the knowledge of God to the world. He's, God is already thinking of how he can proclaim the message to the world. And his plan was to form a peoples, the Hebrew people, the seed of Abraham, to proclaim the news of God, to be the example to the world. God's thinking globally. He's thinking across time. And it took time. God did fulfill his promise to Abram that a seed came from him and Sarah. It took some 20 years. They had to wait. Abram was 100 years old and Sarah was 70. Little past the age of normal childbearing. God kept his promise. They had the son and the Hebrew people came. They complicated God's plan, but God completes his plan. He followed it through. He had that great vision. He called the people. He nurtured them all through the history we have of the Old Testament where they became trapped in Egypt and he set them free and on and on and he brought them back to the land of Canaan. The Old Testament is a testimony to God's vision, to God's promise, and to God's faithfulness. But you can say to me, Wes, that's Old Testament stuff. That's, that's thousands of years ago. We live in a New Testament age. We live in an age of grace. And that's right. You're, you're very real. I think the principles of the Old Testament still apply. They show us who God is. We're not expected to sacrifice animals or do those kind of things. That was part of the law to the Hebrew people. But the principles of God are sound and true and remain to this day. But we come up to the New Testament times. Jesus has come. He's died for the sins of, our, of all people. We look back to Jesus' work on the cross. Abraham was looking forward. So what does the New Testament have to say about vision? What does Jesus say? And one of the great ones we know, you've heard many times, is in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. We know it as the Great Commission. 
And there, Jesus says to his 11 disciples, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. We get into some nomenclature problems here. We think of the disciples as the twelve, or twelve including Judas, this the eleven it refers to. Disciples more generally just means a follower. There were many followers of Jesus besides the twelve disciples that he specifically called. And God speaks to those, and we are disciples of Christ. We are his followers. So he speaks to us in this. And there in verse 19, starting out, Therefore go and make disciples, followers, of all nations. Again, a very global expanse encompassing the whole world. Nations means those countries within specific borders like France and Germany or Kenya and Africa, all the different countries. But to the point more in New Testament speech, nations means people groups. And so you have the different tribes or different people, the Germanic people, the the Latin people, the American Indian, those are all nations. They're people groups. And God is saying here to the disciples, we're probably 40, 40 here today or so. They were 11, okay. And he told those 11, go tell the whole world. Wow. And God defines it there as those nations. Baptize them. Bring them into the fellowship. Do it in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. Major task. But Jesus again gives this assurance. Surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. The Bible often speaks of ages. There are several ages in the Bible. And the New Testament age that we are in, that Jesus ushered in, is the last age mentioned in the Bible. The end of this age is when Jesus Christ will return in the clouds, initially call his people home, catch them up in the air, later to come back and establish his kingdom. That's what it means by the age. And he says, I'll be with you till the end of the age. And we are in that last age. That's why many scholars think Jesus' return could be very imminent. So Jesus gives this challenge, this vision, if you will, that these few that He had called out from, the, from those who heard and followed Him should carry it. And the book of Acts talks about that, how they scattered out and and how they, they took the word around the world. And Paul was to the Jews trying to bring them back to Christ. Peter was sent into uh, Europe. Peter, where he went into Macedonia, was the account of the first gospel going into Europe. And Peter had to be taught in school to do that. Thomas is believed to have gone to India. So they scattered around the world, their world, telling 
people about Jesus Christ, trying, working to fulfill Jesus' mission. That mission is incumbent upon us as well, that we are to go to all nations. And we can think, God, we're a small church. Many of us are elderly. We can't travel around the world. We can't go do that anymore, even, even though you may want to see these great lands. It's just not feasible. Jesus' mission gets repeated again in Acts chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. Jesus, by this time, has been crucified. He's died. He's arose. He's come back to be with his disciples. They're in the upper room. And to show just how single-minded we can be, the disciples were, they're with Jesus and what's on their mind. Lord, are you going to establish your kingdom now? That's what all of them were looking for. They wanted Jesus to come, throw the Romans out, and put the Hebrews back in power. That's where their mind is. But in 7 and 8, Jesus says to them, it's not for you to know the times. In other words, that's going to happen, but you don't get to know. The Father has set that. And later, Jesus said elsewhere, no man knows the time. But then he goes on, you, however, will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. That occurs to every believer, every person who surrenders their life to Jesus Christ to be their Savior and Lord. At that moment, the Holy Spirit comes and indwells them. God Himself, through the person of the Holy Spirit, indwells each person who calls on the name of the Lord. So that has happened to the disciples. It has happened to you who have accepted Christ as Savior. So he says, the power of the Holy Spirit is going to come on you and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Again, divine, de, defining his vision with specificity, with location. And we can translate that to you shall be my witnesses in Campbellsburg, in Henry County, in Kentucky, the United States, and the rest of the world. Big vision. How do we do that? Well, some answer the word, become missionaries. We seek to tell people here at home we need to seek more to do that, and we're moving in that direction. But how do we tell the whole world? Well, one way we do it is the live stream. This little church is proclaiming the message of Jesus Christ around the world. Something that wasn't available to us just a few years before. But we've got people, I've got friends in Kenya, Africa, who watch our broadcast. I've heard responses from a friend in Florida and some Brockways in Pennsylvania telling me they tuned in. You may have heard the same thing. Tom and Laverne have Colin over in Budapest. He can tune in on the internet to see his church, the church he attended to hear the message here. So that's one thing this small church is doing. 
proclaiming that message. But we also have something in the Southern Baptist called the Cooperative Program. It was started in 1925 as a way to fulfill the Great Commission of Jesus Christ. And what that is, is all Southern Baptist churches, those who choose to, it's not mandatory, cooperate together to resource it with finances and other things to send missionaries out to North America and around the world. Sue's parents, my wife's parents, were missionaries sent out by the International Mission Board to eventually end up in Kenya and spent 30 years in Kenya planting churches, proclaiming the gospel. The churches that cooperated together with their gifts financed their work. And so we do. We, as you give your gifts, a portion of that gift goes to the Kentucky Baptist Convention to do work within the state of Kentucky. The Kentucky Baptist Convention takes a small percentage from all the churches in the convention, sends that to the Southern Baptist Convention in Nashville, which distributes that to the various missions, the North American Mission Board, the International Mission Board, and other entities. So through that, your gift that you give to this church, a portion of that is going to ministries around the world. So through the cooperative program, we can fulfill that mission of Jesus Christ. But remember... Acts 1, verse 8, starts with where? Jerusalem. Where you live. Campbellsburg. God has planted this church here. Over 200 years ago, some people moved to this area, believers in Christ, and they, they knew a church needed to be here to proclaim Jesus Christ, to help the families, to help the community. They started some miles away, but eventually moved here, I think 1911, 1915, I've heard different numbers. This structure was built. We've been here since that time. Many great ministries over the years proclaiming Jesus Christ to the community hadn't ended yet, low until the end of the age. Jesus expands that version for us, that vision for us again in John chapter 4, verse 35. He says, don't you have a saying? It's four months until the harvest. A farmer plants a seed. He kind of knows when that's going to come up, when he's going to need to harvest that, that crop. I tell you, open your eyes, for the fields are white for harvest. Jesus, in his vision, is looking out over the community He's seeing those who don't know Him. He sees everyone, focusing on the ones that don't know Him. He sees and knows their right to receive Him as Savior. And He gives us that challenge. He gives us that purpose. It's why we are still here. It's why He has sustained us so that we can be engaged in bringing first this community to a knowledge of Jesus Christ 
And then we do the other things as well, either directly or through the cooperative program. And so our challenge is expanding our vision, getting a greater vision. Instead of becoming hyper-focused on this little issue that concerns us, not that it's unimportant, not that it doesn't need to be addressed, but to make sure our vision incorporates the vision of God and that what we do in each step is working to fulfill that vision of God, not complicating it like Abraham did, not mucking it up by going the wrong direction, but individually and corporately as a body, praying, listening to God, in what he says to do. Abraham, like I said, it was 20 years between Genesis 15 and later when he had Isaac. God didn't give him a son. So what was Abraham to do? He was just to live his life for God. God didn't have him a specific mission during that time, but he had a vision for him later. God at different times will give us marching orders. But what do we do if we hadn't heard those orders, if, if there's some time between? We live for Jesus Christ. Each of us obeying His commands, honoring Him with our life, sharing when we can share to the person next to us, seeking out those opportunities, being intentional, because that is the general teaching we have from his word. Go ye therefore to all nations. Be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. So we live for Christ, listening for the call to action. To do this. To go about this business. And then when he calls, we rise up and serve Jesus Christ. That's what we do. We're going to sing a song now. It's not in your bulletin. I overlooked it. We're going to sing, I Surrender All. That's where we are. Will we surrender and trust God? We got, yeah, we got problems. We got situations going on. Got things that worry us. Got healing that's needed. Do you know what? I can do very little about all those things. But I have a God that can fix it. So as I obey and serve Him, I know He's watching over me, doing what I can't do. So I surrender to Him to follow His leading, to rise up and lift up the name of Jesus. Let's stand. We're going to sing, I Surrender All. Mm-hmm.